We're going to dig into God's Word together. We're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture. Uh, the first comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter uh, 12. And we're just going to be reading a few verses, verse 17 through 19. Uh, and, and these uh, really, f- uh, for me, become an opportunity uh, of example of what our primary text is going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles out, First John chapter 12 and then Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow along with the words on the screen. Let us together hear the word of the Lord, John 12, 17 and following. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued continue to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that Jesus had performed this sign, went out to meet Jesus. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world goes after him. And then we turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 4 and then follow along to, uh, through verse 11. And hear this mission that Jesus sets us on Together, This is Jesus meeting with his disciples in his resurrected form uh, prior to and then through the ascension. Verse 4 and following. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. That's his disciples. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going... When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word for us today. The people of God, it's offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we together give thanks to Lord God Almighty. Uh, Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to be able to gather with your people around your word. I ask, oh God, that you would uh, minimize me in this space. And I pray, oh God, that your glory would be revealed to its fullest measure for us. In this time, Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our minds that would come to know and understand your word. Lord, open our hearts that we would then feel its power. Then finally, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands that we would, in response to this message, open our hands that we would then offer grace to the world. We pray this 
as the people of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that uh, our uh, culture today has a, a great advantage over uh, what I was brought up in when it comes to character development. You see, as I was growing up, it seemed like you got one book or one movie, one shot to develop a character. And then as soon as you finished the one, it was over. And there was the birth of the sequel that took place. And then you could develop characters over a longer track. Then then there would even be a trilogy that began to emerge. And you could see how characters would develop even more. Now it's just like... Uh, the Avengers epic, you know, like, like you could just develop characters over an endless period of time. Uh, there's one character in particular that I, that I find uh, to develop in tremendous ways, and it's in, in the series of Harry Potter. The, the greatest Harry Potter movie, I won't say book and lie to you because I have not read the books uh, to my wife's discomfort and displeasure, but the greatest Harry Potter movie is The Order of the Phoenix. Okay, so if you think differently, you're wrong. That's okay. Um, but that is the best of the entire series. And it's because of the dramatic character development that takes place over uh, the course of this series. You you know, uh, you might think that I'm referring to uh, the students' development, that they they claimed their own role as a part of Dumbledore's army to, to be in the battle against evil, and they're maturing in that effort. You would be wrong. Again, but, but the most substantial shift for me in the Order of the Phoenix is in the character of Snape. So when, <laughs> wow, <laughs> the mother from the UK surprisingly has some passion around Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> love it. Fantastic. So, you know, Snape up until that point, had carried such a dark persona. I, as one who had not read the books, was really uh, viciously opposed to all things Snape. And I was just waiting for the day that we would realize that Snape was, in fact, the right hand of the one that shall not be named, Voldemort. And so, in, in Order of the Phoenix, here's what happens. Uh, By the way, I told this at the 9 o'clock, and the population difference was crazy because not one person in the room knew of Harry Potter. Uh, (laughs) And so so, uh, afterwards, I was like, wow, we need to go watch some Harry Potter together. So um, so here's here's what takes place. So uh, Voldemort and, uh, and Harry Potter have... Uh, have a connection in their minds, and and what takes place is uh, Dumbledore wants to protect Harry against any movement of Voldemort in his mind, and so he charges Snape with the work of training his mind to reject any sort of, of manipulation, mental manipulation. And this goes on and on, and Harry is a, a drastic failure at this. This might be his, his most a substantial failing when it comes to magic over the entire series. He cannot control his mind and his emotion. And an outburst at one of the trainings, uh, he, he gets so frustrated with Snape that he reverses the spell on Snape and he enters into Snape's mind. And this is the first glimpse we have into who Snape was. And we see 
the pain that he had experienced. We see his vulnerability. And we, in fact, we even see that he was bullied and hurt and harmed in ways that puts a human view of Snape out there for us. I had to go back and re-watch the earlier movies to see all of Snape that I had missed, and I had missed a ton. And it's because of the character development that had taken place. You know, I believe that, that, that we connect with Snape in that vulnerability in the same way that we connect with the disciples over the course of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they fail and fall short over and over and over again. And in that, we see a revealing of their humanity that we can connect to so that when we get it wrong, when we miss the point, when we deny or reject, uh, we know that we're not the first disciples of Jesus have done that before. And so here in today's text, uh, we see uh, that same sort of, of move. The disciples are there with Jesus, and, uh, and they are missing the boat. They're missing the point. In fact, they miss the point in, in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 1, 4 through 11, no less than four times, four times that we're going to talk about. They, they miss Jesus four times. And, and in each way, they are corrected and redirected for a purpose on mission with Jesus. And so that is uh, how we're going to uh, focus our attention. The first way in which the disciples miss it is they think small while Jesus is thinking all. The disciples are thinking small. Jesus is thinking all. And, and here's what it looks like. You know, uh, I want you to imagine that uh, a football team just finishes up the preseason with the victory, and they're huddled at the middle of the field after everyone else has left, and the team captain starts rallying everybody together, and the team captain is like, man, this team could do anything. We're going to win. We're going to win it all. We're going to win the Super Bowl. Nothing could stop us, right? And everybody's getting pumped, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then the, team, the, the team captain is like, look, we're so, we're so much, we're so great. We're not just going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to win the NBA championship. We're going to win the Stanley Cup. We're going to win the Cornhole Association of America championship. We're going to win it all. That's the kind of drastic, small to all shift that we see Jesus having to move the disciples in. It seems ridiculous because it is, except that's the heart of God and where we're supposed to be moving. Over the course of Scripture, we see Israel constantly struggling with other global entities, finding their way for the kingdom of Israel to be strengthened. And they're fighting against the Philistines, and they're fighting against the, uh, the, the Egyptians, and they're fighting against the, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jezebites, the, all the ites, right? And then they're fighting against the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And now, in Jesus' day, as he walked on the earth, they're occupied by Rome. 
And so Jesus just gets finished telling the disciples about, hey, here's what's about to happen. You're going to go to Jerusalem, and, and, and the gift that I've been telling you about, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And the disciples are like, wow, great, good thing, Jesus. So now let me tell you what we're interested in, Jesus. They totally missed the point. And they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, when are you, is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They are thinking singularly, narrowly focused about Israel. And Jesus is, is like, you're, you're, guys, you're missing it. I, I can't tell you how much you're missing it. This, this gift, the gift that, that I am for the world, this gift of grace, this gift of salvation, the Messiah, God's son, is not just for Israel. And I'm not just invested in the kingdom of Israel. I'm invested in the world, that the whole world would know me, would, would know my love for them and love me in return, that, that I would be Lord and Savior for all. This is the kind of small to all shift that the disciples have to make and Jesus is working to direct them in that. This is a, a movement, a glimpse of the impossible that Jesus is making possible. It's actually foreshadowed uh, all throughout Scripture, even in the passage that we read in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Uh, the setup of that story is that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, called him out of the tomb. And, and as he called him out of the tomb, the crowd that had gathered bore witness to the fact that Jesus raised someone from the dead. And in so doing, the crowd is just all abuzz. This, this amazing thing has taken place. And then uh, we, we hear that the Pharisees are bearing witness to, to all of this movement of Jesus that's, that's spreading like wildfire. And their quote, the Pharisees' quote in verse 19 is, See, this is getting nowhere. Our ability to squash the Jesus movement is getting nowhere because the whole world has gone after him. The whole world. That is the vision, the mission for Jesus and us. Not small, not only Israel, but the world. That's miss number one. Miss number two uh, is the disciples are in an other frame of mind and God is saying together. From other to together. You, you see, the disciples are, are, are all about what are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? And, and all throughout scripture, Jesus is always inviting them in and, and, and saying, uh, be a part. Do this with me. Uh, you remember the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, what do you have? Uh, the bread and the fish you serve, you gather. And then blessing and miracle taking place. How many times through Scripture is Jesus sending and saying, I'm giving you this power. Here's how I want you to carry the message into the community. The ministry of the 70 going out and then them coming back and reporting how, how, how demons and Satan had no power whenever the work of Jesus was in them in the community. This movement was 
from other, from other to together. You see, the disciples, they, they, they're with Jesus, and he's in his resurrected form, and they're like, what are you going to do? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When is this going to happen? How are you going to make it happen? And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're going to do this with me together. I mean, it's like, it's like the old Three Stooges bit where, where all of them are like, ding, and they're like pointing in opposite directions. Uh, and none of them are pointing to themselves. And, and I want you to get this image that, that, that God and Jesus Christ is actually reaching around you and pointing at you and himself at the same time. Do you see that? He's saying, I'm sending you, but I will be with you all along the way. I'm not leaving you abandoned or forsaken, but we are in this together. I feel like we still miss this quite often. We think that that this mission of God in the world is something that someone else can be delegated the task of. We're, we're going to, to delegate the task of uh, discipleship uh, of our kids to, to, to Patricia and Cove kids. Say, you, you could take care of that, not me. We're going to delegate the task of, of preaching to that, that random guy or gal that stands up on Sunday morning at Covenant, right? Like, uh, that, that's, that's good. That's you, not me, right? We, we think that these are things that are delegated, that someone else, that the other will accomplish it. But God is not just depending on someone else. He is inviting you to work with him together in mission and ministry in the world. The the third myth that the disciples make is, is the disciples feel like we feel all too often. They feel powerless, but God is saying you are powerful. They feel powerless. They feel like, like, like they are no one and nobody from nowhere. They are disciple flunkies. They're, they're, they're failouts. They're, they're cultural nothings. And so when Jesus called them, he, he equipped them, and he says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to give you power. And, and they're still living and operating out of a powerless framework. Do you feel powerless? Is there a time in your life whenever you feel as though the work at play is beyond you? I think sometimes we grow intimidated by the names that Scripture identifies for those who follow Jesus. Uh, We have Paul in his letters referring to uh, the church, the people of the church, you, the people that gather in a church as the saints of Ephesus or Philippi. Can you hear that today, brothers and sisters, the, the saints of covenant? If you just shuddered a bit and you thought to yourself, well, that's Mother Teresa, or at the very least, that's my grandmother, but that's not me then you are exactly where the disciples were here in Acts 1.8, feeling powerless while God is yet saying you're powerful 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's saints or apostles or disciples or preachers or teachers or prophets, uh, whatever these gifts are that you say, nope, not me, someone else, the Lord is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you are powerful. You are able to do more than you, could, uh, than you could even imagine, not because you are strong, but because I am strong in you. And that should be comforting, right? Uh, we're not able to, to actually walk or operate in holiness except for the fact that we have the holiness of Christ in us. We're not able to, to lead or minister or disciple except for the fact that we have been led and, and discipled by God and Jesus Christ. We have received the power of the Holy Spirit that can carry us out into the world in extraordinary ways. And it's always more, always more than we can imagine in our powerless frame of thinking. So often, this powerless and other myths are interwoven together. Because we feel powerless, we point to the other. We say, what are you going to do? How are you going to accomplish it? I'm not going to be able to do that. I want you to think about uh, a time in your life, maybe, maybe you were at one of these like, like uh, business meetings or, or team meetings in your own uh, world of work, your own vocation. And, and think about the, the time whenever your business is, is facing some challenges, maybe even a crisis, and, and, and that kind of executive team meeting setting is going on, and you have the, the executive or the team lead sitting at the front end of that like awe-inspiring conference room table, and then you have everybody else kind of seated around. And, and here's what happens in, in that meeting. Uh, what can happen is the leader can look out to all of the, all of the other um, all of the other cabinet members that can say, what are you doing? Where are you at? How are you showing up? If you'd be showing up, we wouldn't be in crisis. Get your act together. Or all the team members can be looking uh, at the executive saying, how are you going to save us? How are you going to fix it? If you would just lead better, we wouldn't be in this mess. As you can imagine, both of those scenarios end up in bankruptcy. But those moments of challenge and crisis when that team gathers at the table with cabinet members and executives, leaders and, and, uh, of all different uh, stripes coming into that meeting, whenever they say, we can do this together because it's not on any one of us, but it is on all of us together whenever we act as one on mission together, this can turn around. See, everyone at that table has to realize they have a part to play. It's not about the other, it's about them. Everyone at that table has to realize that they're not alone, but they're working as one. Everyone at that table has to realize that together there's power. And when the Holy Spirit of God enters into the church, the people of God, and we are sent out on mission in the world, we are no longer powerless. We are powerful together. 
So small thinking, other thinking, powerless thinking, all, all detract from mission. And then here's the fourth miss that the disciples have here in this story. They stand in awe when they are called to action. They stand still, in fact, in awe whenever they are called to go in action. So, so here's how the story plays out. Jesus, Jesus gives them this work. Uh, you're going you're gonna to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have power. And then you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and, and whenever you're witnesses, uh, you're going to tap into something extraordinary. And, and here, then he ascends into heaven. And as he ascends, uh, he is then hidden by a cloud and he is beyond their sight. The scripture is clear on this. They can no longer even see him. And then in this, in this moment, all the disciples just stand still, just looking up into heaven. It doesn't say for how long, but it does say they can no longer see Jesus. Jesus is no longer with them. And they had already received instructions for Jesus from Jesus. So God has to intervene. And he intervenes with two angels dressed in white, and they come and they stand among the disciples, and angels have a little bit of attitude here. And so I didn't read it quite, you know, in the, in the audio version of the Greek Bible earlier, so I'm going to do a better job of reading the audio version of the Greek of what the angels say to the disciples to move them from all to action. Men of Galilee... Why do you stand here looking into the sky when you've been sent for a purpose? They have attitude and they're inviting them to step forward out into the world and actually do what Jesus called them to do, to be witnesses. And this language, witnesses, is critical for us as, as Christians, particularly uh, as something that we have rested on here at Covenant that has been substantial in the formation of our, uh, of our mission together. The church oftentimes leans into the church, global, oftentimes leans into Matthew's great commission where Jesus calls us to make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and praise God, that is what we are set to do. But oftentimes, we don't know how to do that at all. And so I believe that this Acts 1-8 is actually where we get more of the how. We get the fact that it's through the power and working of the Holy Spirit, and it's through the work of witness. Be my, Jesus says, witnesses. Jerusalem, Jesus, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses. At Covenant, whenever someone joins a church, we ask, will you develop your witness? Alongside of brothers and sisters in the church, as we worship, connect, and serve, right? That, that, that through our work of ministry here, we're developing a witness out into the world. We're not just coming here so we could stay here, so that we can navel gaze, so that we could be in awe. No, we're going to be sent out in action to the world. We're going to witness. And this witness is something that, 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 that is filled with tools that the Lord has blessed you with. First, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the power at work in us. But there are other tools as well I want to be sure that we're, we're clear on. Your life is tool, number one, I want you to be clear on. 
the work of Jesus in you is your witness. This is your expert testimony. And that's why I think this is such an important uh, word for us to adopt as, as Christians and as covenant. Because Jesus calls us to it, but it, it helps us to understand. Because witness is a word that we use in our daily lives. Someone will call a witness to the stand in, uh, in court every single day, Monday through Friday. Uh, not seven days a week, five days a week, right? And here what we have is the opportunity for an expert to step forward. In the great American film, My Cousin Vinny, there is a moment at which Vinny and his girlfriend, Mona Lisa, are, are in a tiff, Right? And it's kind of like running to the, to the end of the movie and things are getting tense and he needs to resolve this. Well, well he calls Mona Lisa to the stand and he says, I, I call the expert witness Mona Lisa to the stand. And she is like, I ain't going there. Mm-mm. I ain't going to witness. I'm not going to do it. Until she realizes that he is only asking her to be a witness to what she knows better than anything else, cars. And, and, and all of a sudden, she perks up and she starts answering questions because she only has to talk about what she knows. And that is the, the beginning of our witness as well. You don't have to know everything about theology or church doctrine or church history or scripture in order to be a witness. No, you need to begin with, what has Jesus done for me? How has God done a redeeming, saving work in my life? How have I been healed and transformed? What have I seen Jesus do in my life? And whenever we, we tap into that, we have a witness to bring. And some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I've ever told anyone those things. Start by telling your spouse what Jesus has done for you. Start by telling your kids what Jesus has done for you. Start by telling your parents what Jesus has done for you. This, your life's witness, is the foundation upon which the world is transformed. Think about it. The crowds that witnessed what was going on in Lazarus went out and just told the world what they saw. Nothing more, nothing less. Which brings me to that second tool. The second tool isn't just what happens in you, but it's also what happens in your brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you see, that crowd, uh, they bore witness to what happened in Lazarus. And so uh, this is the work that we have to do. And this is hard in the, in the post-COVID world for us to like reclaim this. We have to get back to it. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we're post-COVID today. Please, please don't call me on that. Uh, I, I, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this is the move we have to make as we come to the other side. We have to begin hearing from one another in an, a, an exchange of Christian fellowship what God has been up to in our lives. The church is a place where Christian community and fellowship takes place so that we witness to one another so when you go into the world, you don't only carry your own witness, but you carry the witness of the saints that you are in fellowship with. You see how that works? This is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ in the world. The last thing I want to be sure that we 
are clear about is our witness is informed, strengthened, empowered by God's word. When we dig into God's word, when we fall in love with God's word, when when God's word shapes and forms our life, we then have a witness to carry for because we can say what Jesus has done in us and what Jesus did at the cross. And we could carry forward the resurrection testimony of Easter in the world. So there's a, a character development that I feel like we might miss. We think of uh, the disciples of Jesus in gospel terms, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we, and we relate to them and we love them because they're, they're like us. They're all sorts of messed up and we're all sorts of messed up. And so it's like... Yes, they miss it four times in just a few verses of Scripture. We miss it four times in a few verses of Scripture. And so, yes, the disciples were good, right? That's it. But, but we cannot neglect the character development and transformation that we see in the disciples from the Gospels to Acts as they move from disciples to apostles and they build the church of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit through the faithful witness that they carry into the world. And that's the same transformation that does take place in you and me. That we can move into spaces where we are witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, lives are changed by what you do. We don't need to be a small-minded people and other people, a powerless people, a standstill in all people. In fact, we can... We could hear Jesus calling forward to us and say, no, this is an all sort of a gospel. This is a together sort of a gospel. This is a powerful gospel. And this is an action gospel. We together as the people of God are set on mission to build a community connecting in Christ. That mission has not been defeated. In fact, it is being revived in you and me today. And that is what we are set on as the people of covenant in the world. Let us go, knowing that we go with God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, what, what a gift it is to be able to rest in your word and rest in the comfort that we have in the truth of your word. So we ask, God, that you would revive us on mission. That, that, that you would equip us with the power of the Holy Spirit and develop our, our, our witness and our corporate witness that we would carry forward into the world the extraordinary gift of your grace. Lord, help us to reveal your grace to the world. Lord, we know that this is not something we're able to do on our own. It's not by our own strength or our, or, or our own doing, but Lord, We are humbled to work with you in this task. Lord, thank you. Thank you for 
inviting us. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for equipping us. Now, Lord, work in us in extraordinary ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.